We're set for a heavyweight rumble in the quarterfinals between England and France, but not without two very interesting round of 16 games which saw the powerhouses progress. We've got former Socceroo Scott McDonald, Socceroo's icon Mark Schwarzer and Optus Sport journalist Jack Austin in the pod today to look at all the action. I'm your host, Teo Pelizzeri. This is the Optus Sport Football Podcast. Let's get in to the Pod. So a couple of the big guns fired at the World Cup this morning and it sets up a tantalising quarterfinal. But let's take a look at how they got there with our panel. Former Socceroo Scott McDonald. Scott, great to have you back on the Pod. Good morning, Taylor. Always good to be here. And we've also got Optus Sport journalist Jack Austin joining us. Jack, it's great to have you along too. Thanks for having me, Taylor. So let's get into England-Senegal because it was a very comfortable win for England in the end. In fact, you'd probably say they looked sensational. Scott, is this evidence that they are coming into form at the perfect time for another World Cup run? Yeah, well, they certainly are in terms of uh, tournament play. Um, before leading into this tournament. There was a lot of pressure, a lot of questions asked of, of Gareth Southgate. Um, but their performances have been very, very good so far. Uh, as we know, within tournament knockout stages, things can change very, very quickly. But apart from a couple of little scares at the, the beginning of this game, um, and they have Jordan Pickford to thank, as we'll talk about um, during those moments, uh, they were very comfortable and, and very impressive. And if you look at their squad overall, um, it's difficult to pick a first 11. You know, Jordan Henderson comes in, Phil Foden comes in for this uh, knockout phase and uh, perform exceptionally well. So um, it's good choices to have for Gareth Southgate and they are looking excellent. Um, but the uh, the challenge just gets uh, tougher from now on in. Uh, Jack, you are Welsh. So you're, you were looking at the Senegal game uh, in a slightly more impartial lens than the game before. But... Uh, are England's form, what do you make of them as they start to move through the gears in the knockout stages? Yeah, I think uh, Scotty nailed it there with what he said, that this is tournament play. Um, I think what Gareth Southgate is very good at is being boring, uh, and that is a compliment. Uh, I think in a World Cup, what you need to do to get to the latter stages is to be boring. Um, and even if you look at the last few World Cup winners, France in 2018, Germany 2014, Spain 2010, if you look at the way they played, it was fairly defensive. Um, I know the way Spain won, it was revolutionary, but they won every knockout game 1-0. And I think looking at those teams that have won, they all had this almost ruthless efficiency uh, where they dominated games that didn't particularly create loads of chances, but when they did, they took them. And I think that's what this England team is doing at the moment. Now, speaking of goal scorers, England kept uh, Marcus Rashford on the bench until the 65th minute. Everyone expected Gareth Southgate to put him in the starting 11, but we might get Mark Schwartz's thoughts on this over in Qatar first. Schwartzy, do you think Southgate tends to go against public opinion? I think you're right. Gareth Southgate has never listened to the outside noise, the outside opinion. He's always made the decisions um, off his own back. And I, and I think that's how a manager has to operate. You know, they, they have a clear vision, they have a clear understanding. They see the players day in, day out. They work with them. Even though, you know, a player like Rashford, who's been in really good form at this World Cup, um, has deserved to play. But also, you know, if you look at it, Phil Foden's deserved to play. And I think Saka, to a large degree, has deserved to play as well. And I think either one of those you can you could swap out phone definitely not but i think saka or rashford could easily be that change and i think when you keep getting results and you keep doing well it's difficult to make those changes 
Um, but there's also an element to say, well, a really, really good manager is one that also can see a way that you can even improve upon the players that you selected in the last lineup and get even a better performance out of it. And maybe having Rashford ahead of Saka would give you a little bit more. But how do you knock it? How do you question it when they've won 3-0 and they've they've done it very easily, very confidently? Um, and they cruise to victory and, you know, uh, in control for 95% of the game. So Gareth, at the moment, has got everything right, all the calls right. And so long as they keep progressing, so long as they keep playing well, which they have been playing well, other than probably the, the game against the USA, it's hard to criticise. But there's always a matter of opinion. Everybody has their own opinion and that'll never change. But Gareth has certainly shown in his time as the manager of England that he will stick to his own opinions and, and it doesn't matter what the noise is from outside. Thanks to Mark Schwarzer there uh, with his thoughts over in Qatar. We'll keep checking in with him through the course of today's podcast. Scott, what does it say about England's depth that Gareth Southgate didn't have to start Marcus Rashford nor felt the pressure to start Marcus Rashford? Well, it says a lot, doesn't it, in terms of they've had seven different goal scorers at this tournament alone already. They've equaled their highest ever goal tally for a, a World Cup uh, tournament in, in 12 goals already, you know, and, and doing that in the round of 16. So... You know, their attacking play has been brilliant, to say the least. And in terms of having those different goal-scoring opportunities, and Marcus Rashford coming off the bench and, and making impacts the likes of Grealish as well. Foden's done that in previous uh, games as well. Raheem Sterling wasn't available for this one as well, so that made the selection headache a little bit easier probably for Gareth Southgate. But they're just in fine form. And then if you look at, at that man, who I know we're going to talk about him because he's been that impressive over this tournament, Jude Bellingham, and what he brings to this England side. Um, but their, their strength and depth is, is just phenomenal. Um, and the options that England now have in previous tournaments uh, gone by, you would have looked at England and said probably you knew their stick on 11 and what it was. And they might have one or two that might be a different uh, type of player that they can bring in. But this squad, he's got options. He's got four, five, six different options. He's got three different right backs that he can play. Obviously, Walker got the nod in this one, which we talked about. I thought he would. Um, being that he, he got minutes in that you know that game against Wales, um, and, and you know and they've looked very very comfortable uh, defensively apart from obviously uh, you know in the first game a couple of blips when they were you know four five six up against Iran um, and, and a couple of little you know sloppy passes this morning um, they haven't really been challenged yet but you know Kylian Mbappe and and the rest of the French crew are going to do that to you. So I'm really looking forward to this next one. This is where it gets serious now, and this is where we see all the big hitters come and go toe-to-toe, which I'm really looking forward to. So, you know, the defensive side of the game has been there within this World Cup. Now I'm looking forward to the attacking intent of some of the teams that are left in the tournament. Well, let's move to Jude Bellingham then. Uh, we've got a comment here from Phil Foden who said, I don't want to big up Jude Bellingham too much because he's still young, but he's one of the most gifted players I've ever seen. I don't see a weakness in his game. He's got everything and he's uh, he's going to be the best midfielder in the world for sure. Let's bring in Mark Schwartzer on this one first. Uh, Schwartzy, just how good is Jude Bellingham? Jude Bellingham, I think, is absolutely outstanding for England and he's been outstanding so far at this World Cup. I, I think... He he's almost like Mbappe is to France. Obviously, not quite to the same same importance, but certainly really really uh, valuable and going to be instrumental if England are going to have any chance 
firstly to get past France, but also to make it to a Cup final and possibly even win it. Jude Bellingham is going to be the man that's going to be right in the middle of it. Uh, the way he controls the game, the pace of the game, uh, the way he his vision, the way he can turn, you know, a, a sort of a defensive midfielder role into on the front foot, taking on a player, gliding past a player, and then laying off like he did tonight against against Senegal on a couple of occasions is outstanding. He's got he's the, he's the complete midfielder at the moment. I, I don't know of anyone of that level. Um, who have everything, has the vision, the defensive qualities, the attacking ability, the tackling ability, and uh, and also has a great, great finish on him. And he, he ticks all the boxes. He's big, he's strong, young, um, hungry. He's got this leadership quality. And I think he just seems to be growing more and more as, as the tournament goes on. And um, look, I, I think I think he's um, potentially going to be one of the players of the tournament, if not the player of the tournament. And it all depends on how far England go. Mark Schwartz are there in Qatar. Jack, we've heard Scott's thoughts on Bellingham as well, but let's continue this conversation. Uh, his status as a player in football is on a steady rise. Certainly Dortmund got ahead of the curve by paying what they did for him as young as they did for him. And while there were eyebrows raised in the English media at the time, uh, it was more so focused around Birmingham retiring his shirt number rather than the actual transfer fee or that he was going to Dortmund. However, I think everyone who has been in on Bellingham has clearly known something special was on the way from a very early moment. Yeah, absolutely. I think it takes something special for a 17-year-old to have their shirt number retired, um, especially when he only made, well, I think, 44 appearances for the club or something like that. Um, but he's a, he is the complete midfielder at only 19 years old, which is scary, uh, to be honest. You look at the Kane goal, for example. He won the ball, he carried it forward, he beat a player and he picked the right pass. I mean, most midfielders can do one or two of those things. Very few can do all three. And he's, he is just, I think I heard, um, uh, I think it was Jermaine Gina said he's a combination of Gerrard and Lampard. And um, if, if he does come to be that for England, then he's a really, really, really bright uh, future for England ahead. Um, but yeah, there's actually a story behind the, the, the shirt number uh, being retired as well, uh, the number 22. As a, a youngster, his coaches told him that he was able to play all three midfield positions. So the number four, the number eight, and the number 10. And they said out it all together, and you're a 22. So that's why he wears a 22 whenever he plays. Uh, and that's why Birmingham City have retired that number as well. So I think growing up, there might be a few kids now on the playground wearing 22 on the back of their shirt as a result. Scott, I wanted to um, go back to Michael Owen, 1998. Wayne Rooney, Euro 2004. What's different? England's been here before. Rooney had a great long career. Michael Owen, of course, injuries caught him and and sort of burnt him out, even though he persisted and tried to extend his career as long as possible. How is Bellingham built different? Because the weight of the nation isn't on his shoulders. It's on it's on the whole team. Um, and I think in previous competitions gone by for England, it's it's relied on one individual to, you know, like a David Beckham or Wayne Rooney or Michael Owen to to be the difference for them to to make them win the World Cup. I think Jude Bellingham just fits into what they are and they have so many different options now and different uh, elite players. But this guy is the real deal. He can do everything like, like we just touched on there with Jack as well and, and from Phil Foden and, and all his teammates. He can defend, he can attack, 
Um, his press is out of this world. His energy levels, like the way he goes about, he's chasing people down and three nil up in, in you know the opposition's you know uh, fullback corners and and just sliding in like it's for you know dear life that they're they're in the ninetieth minute and they're they're only one nil up. The guy is hungry. I, I just love watching him. And and as much as we talked about that second goal. What about the first one, the burst of pace to, to go by people? That is the biggest threat and danger to any opposition when you have a midfielder that's willing to run beyond your attacking uh, attacking uh, players. That gives defences all sorts of problems. And he, he does that so well, uh, as we've seen with that first goal. And um, with him playing in that team, um, to combat him is very, very difficult for any opponent. And uh, he can get on top of you very quickly. So... For me, I think he's just enjoying his football and, and he's part of that, that squad. And, and no one's really talking about him as the guy who's going to actually win them the World Cup. Yes, he'll, he'll play his part in it. But I don't think the media of, of England is actually, they hold him in high esteem now. But they're not just thinking it's going to be down to him if they're going to win it, which I think helps his cause and helps England's cause as well. Talk about the sort of pressure of expectation and that it's on the team rather than the individual. Only the short turnaround time until the game against France. Do you think that um, England will hone in on him as the focus or does Harry Kane scoring a goal and getting his World Cup back on track mean that he's still the figurehead or is the focus still, you know, the defence and how they'll deal with Mbappe? Is it because there are so many different talking points that, again, it doesn't simply hone in on Bellingham? You think of the 2002 World Cup where so much of it was centralised around David Beckham, David Beckham. He was the biggest name in football at that tournament. There was almost no where else to look yeah correct uh, look I think there's a lot of permutations within the game itself you talk about stopping the likes of Mbappe I think they have to control the midfield they have to control the game um, if they can do that then they'll nullify the opportunities of Dembele and, and Mbappe but you always have to be careful of the counter-attack if you are controlling the game against France because within an instant they can change uh, the complexities of the match and, and and put you on the back foot so Look, England have got their own strengths. I think Harry Kane is is still so important. I love everyone criticizes how he drops off in the game, but how he does that obviously is, is a great foil for the likes of Bellingham when he drops in and he can run beyond. Um, and defenders have got a decision to make: do they come in with with Harry Kane? And for as much as he's not scored goals at this tournament, you look at the creation that he's gave England um, and the assists that he's made. He's still so vital. Um, and I thought Phil Foden was wonderful as well. This morning, uh, a lot was said about Bellingham's run for the first goal um, and then obviously Henderson getting on the end of it. But Phil Foden's flick around the corner into Harry Kane and then Harry Kane's weight a pass. You know, those two things, the goal doesn't happen if those two things don't happen prior to that. And that's that that flair that, that Foden gives England is, you know, something that they probably haven't had in previous tournaments. I don't think, oh, yes, they've got Grealish as well, but... There's just more substance to Foden than what he does and, and there's the end product. Um, and, and there has been a lot of pressure on Southgate to play him and I think he performed well and it'll be very difficult to now not have him in the side also. The uh, the history books beckon for Harry Kane. He is one goal behind Wayne Rooney now on the England top scorers list. Uh, I think back to the Euro 2000s when he scored against Germany. England got over the hump and sort of dispatched Germany in a fairly regulation fashion in that knockout game on their way to the final. I mean, the stage is set for him, Scott. He's, he's broken uh, his tournament duck here against Senegal and now the big stage in France. Is this where Kane refines a bit of that magic that he showed us at Euro 2000 against a, you know, a, not just a heavyweight, but in that instance, one of England's uh, traditional rivals? 
Well, you wouldn't put it past him, would you? And that would be some time to then come to the fore for England. Everyone's been talking about uh, some of the other players, the likes of Sackers and, and Rashford and, and Bellingham. Um, there's been a bit more pressure on the England captain as well. Oh, he's not scored any goals. was golden boot winner at uh, the previous tournament. You probably said there was a lot more pressure on him in 2018 than what there is now um, in an expectation sort of sense. But he's always going to be England's number nine, and I think he can. And, and you know... If they get a penalty, you know stepping up and, and will fancy to, to score that. And that's one thing actually in the tournament which is crazy to think. We've not had a lot of penalties to talk about, have we? I know we had one this morning in the Poland game, but realistically there's not been as many penalties uh, as there has been previous tournaments. But um for me, yes, I look he's gonna come to if England are to to win this World Cup, then Harry Kane has to light it up um in the knockout stages for them to to actually win the World Cup. There's no question for me. So and yeah, I actually uh, slightly disagree. I think Kane has been lighting up so far. I think the way he's been playing, dropping deep, um, he's almost been playing in that nine and a half role that he played uh, under Jose Mourinho, as Jose Mourinho coined it anyway, um, where he's not quite a 10, he's not quite an out and out nine. And the way he's dropping deep, he's actually allowing the likes of Saka, Rashford, Foden to have all that extra space in behind. And I think him doing that has allowed them to shine. And although he's only scored once, I don't think he or England will be particularly concerned about that. I think it's actually become a bit of a strength of his that he's able to do that and drag those those central defenders a bit further up the pitch and leave that space in behind for those pacey wingers uh, who are actually in really good form at the moment and finishing well. And I think that's probably been England's biggest strength so far. Now, there's one other individual I wanted to focus on. We spoke about Jude Bellingham earlier, but here's a quote from him about Jordan Henderson. Uh, his goal was well worked. He had a brilliant performance today. I see some of the rubbish that was said about him playing. Honestly, it's ridiculous. He's so underrated technically, and he's delivered again in a big game with a massive goal. So I think it's time he got a bit of respect. Scott, uh, is that England, I don't know, using a bit of the Aussie DNA? Nobody believes in us. Nobody believes in Jordan Henderson. Or is he on the money there with uh, the point he's just made? I, I think he's completely on the money. And I think... Um reading what I'm reading at the moment, that these two have created such a relationship off the field at this World Cup as well, Henderson and Bellingham. I think you've seen that relationship within the first goal and the way that they celebrated it. But if you look at Jordan Henderson uh, as a squad member, he's a wonderful squad member to have, but he's also a natural leader. Obviously, he does it at his club uh, so well, um, being the captain of that that massive club in Liverpool. Um, But when he comes on the pitch for England, he's the communicator. He's a natural leader out there without having the armband on. Um, and I think with him in the squad or in the team, rather, Gareth Southgate has that bit of security. And I think that came from the USA game. I think when he came on, the game changed. They started to control the tempo. They started to control the possession of the game. And I think that sort of lit the torch for, for Gareth Southgate to actually put him back into the side and and want to control that midfield a little bit more, which, which they weren't doing in that game. And I think that's why he played obviously against Senegal uh, in this game. And, and look, he's come up trumps, hasn't he? And it looks to be that Gareth Southgate is making all the right decisions right now. Um, and everyone's fully behind him and the team. But yeah, I think he does get a little bit of flack, I think because of, he's not played as much for Liverpool either in recent times. So I think the pressure of actually him playing and delivering for England has always been questioned. And and obviously the, the strength and depth that they've got in those positions. But there's no question that from a natural leader perspective and what he gives... I think that that's exactly what they've needed at this moment in time um, in the middle of that field. And obviously coming up with only his third goal as well for England. Um, so 
special time for him to get his first World Cup goal. Now, Jack, uh, it wasn't all positives for England. Raheem Sterling was absent from the match today. Tell us the story there. Yeah, yes, and um, it's pretty horrible news, actually. He's flown back to England. Um, it's unclear whether he'll rejoin the squad, but his uh, his family home was broken into by armed burglars on Saturday night in the UK. Um, so the day before the, this game would have been uh, local time. Um, so he's flown back to be with them completely understandably. Uh, it's unclear whether he'll be back, but... England and Gareth Southgate will have everything crossed that everything's okay back home and he's uh, in good good nick enough to come back and rejoin the squad because he's a huge player for Gareth Southgate. He's, a, he's one of those that may not be having the best time for his club at the moment, but every time he turns up for England, he puts in a great performance. I think possibly today would he have started? Maybe. Gareth Southgate does rely on him very heavily. Um, but I think it'll be a huge loss for for both on and off the pitch uh, for having someone with his experience and talent. And one last word on Senegal, the eliminated team. Scott, they did well to get out of the group they were in. Uh, Ecuador certainly were one of the unluckiest opponents to be knocked out at the group stage. Senegal beat them, so they deserved to be at this point. But is there anything they can take away from this? They are the champions of Africa, but ultimately the scoreline reflects a pretty one-sided affair. Yeah, it does look, I think overall, you know, losing Mane at the very beginning of the tournament and not being able to, to play in this tournament was a huge blow to them. Um, and, and I think a lot of people written them off at that point to, to even qualify for the next phase of the World Cup. So I, I think they've done exceptionally well. And what I really liked about them this morning is they didn't just sit in, they, they, they came to have a go. They came to ha- attack England, uh, particularly early on. Um, but again, it was their undoing in the end defensively um, and they lost their discipline. Once that first goal got, went in, you could see in terms of their mentality that they, they'd more or less, you know, not give up, but knew it was going to be difficult from there. And the discipline of the actual the squad itself, uh, you know, just, just fell apart. And obviously the second goal killed them uh, just before halftime. But look, I, could, I think that CC's done a, a great job there in, in qualifying them for the next phase. And, and obviously no Mane is so difficult, one of the best players in the world. So I think they can look back and, and be proud of their, their performance at this World Cup. You're listening to the Optus Sport Football Podcast. A quick break here on the Gegen Pod, and then we'll look at the day's other game and ahead to what's coming. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Welcome back to the Gegen Pod. We've got former Socceroo Scott McDonald and Optus Sport journalist Jack Austin with you today. And let's turn our attention to France 3, Poland 1. The Poland goal, a stoppage time consolation after France had taken true ascendancy in this game, not without uh, a couple of hairy moments, including a close-range save from Hugo Lloris and a shot blocked off the line for Poland when the game was still nil-nil. But ultimately, Olivier Giroud was the difference, and he became France's all-time top scorer by overtaking Thierry Henry. 116 caps for 52 goals, Henry 51 in 123. I think Kylian Mbappe will quite comfortably catch them both. But for now, Scott McDonald, uh, he does have top spot. 
and gets to enjoy that for maybe a year to three ahead of Mbappe. Uh, It's a pretty significant achievement given that at 36 years old, he's come to another World Cup. He didn't score at the last one, but he has found his scoring boots at this one. And he has, and you know, it's a sliding doors moment. Everyone talking about Benzema before this tournament, who missed the last World Cup. Um, and if you're Giroud going into this World Cup, you're thinking you're not really going to get a lot of minutes and hoping and praying that you get enough just to try and get this record and, and be a part of something. I think it's worked out fantastically well for Deschamps and, and for France that um, Benzema's actually been injured because I think Giroud is the best foil for killing Mbappe in the way that they link up. And you can see they enjoy playing together. They had the previous World Cup where they had success as well. And Giroud likes to do all the things that Mbappe doesn't do, you know. So I think they really, really um, you know, work well and, and, and there's a good combination. Um, but 52 goals and 117 appearances is phenomenal. Um, and, and someone that a lot of the time in the French media and, and even in the English Premier League is not being really fancied. Um, or thought much of. If you even look back to his record at, at Arsenal, he has a better record um, than, than Thierry Henry for his first, I think it was 100 games or whatnot. You guys would be able to tell me more, but I remember that stat that said that he actually had a more successful reign in the first two seasons at Arsenal than he did to Thierry Henry. But we don't compare him to that because of what Thierry could bring um, to that team and to the France team. But he's showing he's world-class and world-level. And at 36 years of age, um, to be still doing it and how he looks after himself. And, and now the oldest you know, goal scorer in a knockout phase since the old Roger Miller in, uh, in Italia 90. So it's been a long time since someone as old as him has scored a goal in this knockout phase. So I, I, I love him. I think it's brilliant. And talk about his finish as well. For him to dig that out the way he did, I'm still, I'm still asking questions how he did it. It was a wonderful little slide pass from Kylian Mbappe. But... He digs it out. You see, he doesn't hit it cleanly, but it finishes. It's always in that corner, you know. And he digs it out, like hits the ground first, and and it's a wonderful finish. But that's that's not easy to do, guys. It's just not easy how he how he was able to dig that out. So you know, he's a wonderful player and a wonderful finisher. Well, let's get Mark Schwartz's opinion over in Qatar. Mark, is Olivier Giroud respected enough for his incredible achievements? I think Olivier Giroud is becoming. Um, Certainly a history maker, one of the obviously all-time greats of French football, leading goal scorer now, um, overtaking Thierry Henry, which is absolutely amazing and sensational considering the type of players, the names of players and the world-class players that have gone before him. Does Olivier Giroud fit in that category of being world-class? Probably not, but very, very close. And I think... Certainly his time at Arsenal, I think he was underrated and unappreciated to a large degree from a lot of people. But his goal-scoring record was always really, really good. At Chelsea, we saw glimpses. And again, I don't think Chelsea appreciated him enough and utilised him enough and played to his strengths enough. Probably um, Deschamps is the one that gets him the most. He's probably the one that can get the best out of Olivier Giroud. 2018 World Cup winner, didn't score a goal, didn't get a shot on target. But how important was he for France winning that World Cup? He was like the, he was the final piece. He was the mo- one of the most important pieces of that machine. And um, I think this World Cup, he's come into the World Cup in the most prolific scoring um, form, I think, of his career at AC Milan. And Benzema's withdrawal because of injury, I said it back then when it was announced, could be... 
a blessing in disguise. It could be the advantage that France have now because there seems to be such a good relationship between Mbappe and Giroud, Griezmann, and Giroud, and Giroud now is adding goals to his repertoire for the national team. Like, at a World Cup, I mean, you know, he scored a lot of goals. He's the leading goal scorer, but in terms of at a World Cup, and he's in top, top form and looks very, very difficult to handle. And I've got no doubt now, opposition certainly know everything about him. They fear him and they have a lot of respect for him because the stats speak for themselves and his form that he's in now is absolutely brilliant. Thanks to Mark Schwarzer there over in Qatar, echoing your sentiments, Scott, uh, singing the praises of Olivier Giroud. But let's talk about, you mentioned him being the perfect foil for Kylian Mbappe. He overtook Zinedine Zidane in France's all-time record scorers. 33 goals in 61 caps. He's also getting closer and closer by the goal to Miroslav Klose as the World Cup's all-time top scorer. He's overtaking some of the biggest names in football's history every time he hits the back of the net. It's hard to believe he's still so young. But I mean, his focus isn't on the individual records. It's about winning back-to-back World Cups at the moment. And France, they've got England next, but, uh, gee, they look good. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. I think um, Mbappe is the one that's going to really cause a lot of headaches in that England camp. I think I think it'll probably see England switch to a back five just to combat him uh, with uh, Kyle Walker going in as a third centre-back. I think he will be really the one that Southgate needs to stop if he's got any chance of getting England to another semi-final. Um, and it's just—it's not just his speed, which is the—it is the scary thing. His finishing is, I, I think, perhaps underrated. You saw his two finishes today, both in the top corner. Um, just the way he does it with so much power and precision. All he needs is half a yard of space, and he can just fire it wherever he wants. And I think the scary thing is that it's almost like Messi and Ronaldo when they were in their prime. You keep them quiet for 89 minutes, but all they need is one one second just to turn it on. And they can almost turn it on when they want it, and the game's gone. I think Deschamps said afterwards, you know, he didn't didn't play his best game, which is bizarre to say for a player who's just scored two goals in a knockout game during a 3-1 win. But he's probably right, and that's probably something that England should really be worrying about if they are going to make it through to the semi-final. Yeah, absolutely. Look, Kylian Mbappe right now is the best player in the world for me. There, there is no doubt, no question. You know, even the Poland boss, you know, saying afterwards, there's no recipe to stop uh, Kylian Mbappe. And and when you you put it in those terms, um, all the best players in the world have had those moments where they're unstoppable, and, and there's not really a way to actually stop him. You know, you think right, I'll give him half a yard because I don't, I know he wants to cut in on his right hand side, and then he'll reverse whip one in the top corner. And then you get tight for the set, the next one. You learn your lesson. You go right. I'm going to get tight this time, right? And then he w- takes one touch out his feet, bang, and he whips it in the fast stick. You know, so it, he's got such ability as well, and and he can be ruthless. He still misses chances, like we've seen in the World Cup, like against I think it was Australia in the first game where he missed from two yards out. However, he just smiles and he just keeps coming, you know, and he's going to keep coming and keep coming at that England defence. Uh, you better believe it um, in the quarterfinals and and. Look, Dembele's a big threat as well. Not had as much uh, attention on him for this tournament, but you know when you've got Mbappe on one side and Dembele at the other running at you, um, it's a scary thought for defences. So it's it's going to be a huge challenge for England. And really interesting you say, Jack, that 
England will, will move to a, a back a back three, back five. Um, if he does so, then obviously it will be the first time that the Southgate's gone to that in this tournament. Uh, and a big call, isn't it? You know, if he does does go to a back five in terms of the, the way that England have been playing so far, they've been excellent. Um, and how does that up, uh, upset the sort of the wider areas for England as well, where they've had so much success? So there's a lot of questions to be asked in this game, and it's going to be wonderful to, to see what the answers are. What's your early gut feel, Scott and Jack? I mean, France or England in this quarterfinal? I wouldn't be surprised with either result. I think we might be nailed on for a bit of extra time here. Um, it's a really difficult one to call. I could see I could see England just having that moment and then holding out for a, for a 1-0 victory. I could also see Mbappe just tearing them apart. And I think one of the players that's gone under the radar for me has been Griezmann uh, for France. I think he's been one of the best players of the tournament so far. He's played 71 consecutive games for France and he's in that time gone from a world-class left winger to a world-class right winger to a world-class centre forward and now he's playing a lot deeper and pulling the strings in behind and I, I if I if I had to if I had to bet I would say France but honestly this is going to be a this is going to be a really good game to watch yeah you're right Jack it's difficult to look past France isn't it you know they've only lost one knockout game and Didier Deschamps reign uh, as manager of France it just shows you what a wonderful job he's done obviously winning 2018 losing to the champions uh, in 2014 Germany um, along the way. But look, I think for for France, they can go 1-0 down in this game and still win it. You know, that's that's the thing for me. Uh, they're, they're a huge threat, um, no matter if they're a one down or one up. But I think if England are going to win this game, they're going to have to score first. Uh, I just don't see them as they concede first coming back from this game. I think it will just cause all sorts of problems for England if they have to go and chase the game in the likes of Dembele and, and Mbappe are, uh, you know, on the counter attack. So I think if England are going to have to, you know, any chance of winning this, they're going to have to obviously dominate um, the midfield for me and, and try and keep possession as much as they can. And, and obviously they're going to have to double up um, in those wider areas, um, but try and put France on the back foot. That's your best form of defence is to, to go and press them high and, and try and nullify them, you know, at the at the source rather than allowing them to come onto you. I think that could be very da- dangerous for England. And I don't see them doing that anyway. Um, but it's it's such a fascinating game where it's too too close to call this one. They're, they're both in excellent form, so um, unfortunately we're going to lose one of them though. So, but I, I just can't put my money on either at the moment, Taya. One last one on Mbappe then. Uh, Qatar national team failed at this World Cup, laughing stock of uh, the tournament. Mbappe at PSG, you know, Qatari-owned club, so much investment. There's always speculation that, you know, he will move to Real Madrid at some point or another. But, uh, Scott, this tournament, does it almost price him out and make him impossible to purchase? Is Mbappe the only way he's ever going to move clubs if he basically uh, says, I'm going on strike until you sell me? Because it seems as though you cannot put a price on a man with this profile, this so, so much self-awareness and control of his own worth, but also the performance to back it up. Yeah, absolutely. It makes it almost near enough impossible to, to go and get him unless he really wants to make that move happen. And I don't know, maybe he does what Ronaldo did. And, and have an interview with Piers Morgan at some point <laughs> to, to get out of his to get out of his contract. But how's Piers Morgan's out. French? I'm not sure it's that good. <laughs> I don't think so. But Killian's English isn't too bad, funny enough. So um, look, I think the moment for Real Madrid is been and gone. Um, 
signing that massive deal now it'll be very difficult for anyone in the world to, to go and match that and the Qatari ownership will will have their own thoughts on trying to keep Kylian Mbappe happy and if he was to win this World Cup at, in Qatar it, it makes him more of an asset to them than ever um, but look uh, there's been a lot of ne- negativity around Kylian Mbappe before this tournament as well let's not forget in terms of being at PSG throwing his toys out the pram people saying how unprofessional he is how selfish he is I'm just not seeing that at this World Cup. And I, and I think that you've got to give Deschamps a lot of credit for that as well in terms of how this French team uh, is together um, and how he's brought that um, ever since, even, you know, since he took the reins. Because if you look at, you know, previous before he took over and, and the 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 infighting that, that France had and the ego uh, of, of the, the individuals within the team, it's not there. It doesn't seem to be there now. There seems to be a huge collection and a, you know, the nation going in one direction and, and he's a big part of that. Yeah, he's absolutely laser focused. Uh, I think he's he's went this morning was his third man of the match um, of the tournament out of three starts and uh, he's refused to do any media afterwards, which uh, as man of the match, you're contractually, contractually obliged to do or you uh, risk incurring a fine. And uh, he finally went to one this morning and he said the reason why he hasn't been going is because he's so focused on France. He didn't want any questions about PSG. Um, so I think that tells you everything you need to know. He's expecting those questions about PSG. He's, his contract is up in 18 months, I think. So there will be lots of talk between now and then. And he's doing everything he can to just postpone it till the end of the season, I think. Okay, and one last word on the defeated team, Poland. Scott, I promise I'm not doing this to wind you up, but they actually did have 1.75 XG to France's <laughs> 1.37. Um, but to be fair, that's because all penalties are worth 0.8. So Lewandowski scores the penalty. They smiled at the end. The fans cheered. I mean, they held their own in this game. Is it arguable that they actually played better in this game than they did in at least two out of their three group games? Yeah, absolutely. And and obviously the game could have, you know, thrown up a, a little bit of, well, a little bit of excitement if Zelinski's chance actually goes in at the very beginning of the game. They're, they're in that game at that moment. And then obviously the, the one that gets cleared off the line there after that. Uh, but then, again, we talk about Senegal, but I think the pressure was off Poland just to qualify for the, the next phase. I, I think it's been you know, almost 50 years since they've done that um, before now. You, you, again, you guys will correct me if I'm wrong on that. Um, but there's been a lot of pressure on, on the nation to, to do that, the, the, the players, and, and obviously Lewandowski to, to score goals at, at, you know, at a world tournament, um, which he's now got, he got his second one. You could see how pleased he was, obviously, to, to score that one. Even though they were getting beat 3-0, there was still a bit of a celebration, which always still surprises me when, that, when that's the case. But obviously, it's a, it's a dream to go to a World Cup and uh, to score goals at World Cup. And that's it's it's nice to see that, I guess, that it means that much to Lewandowski and, and uh, the Poles themselves. But look, it was always going to be a big ask for them to, to beat France. And, and obviously, I think the way that they got to the, the last phase, I think they did really, really well to get there because it was difficult you know, going into that last game for them. All right, let's move on to the upcoming round of 16 games. And these are the final two AFC Asian teams in the tournament flying the flag for the Confederation. It starts with Japan against Croatia and then Brazil against South Korea. Jack, I'll start with your tips. Is this the end of the road for the AFC? Who have you got winning in these two games? Yeah, I don't mean to rain on the AFC's parade here, but I think it probably is. Um, But then again, who picked three teams, let alone one going through from the group stages. So if anyone's going to cause a shock, you know, I think one of these two teams could do it. Could you imagine if South Korea beat Brazil? 
Wow. Um, but no, I don't think it's going to happen. I think Croatia, they're, 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 they're an aging team, but I think they, they've got that know-how of winning. And when you've got Luka Modric pulling the strings in midfield, it'd take a brave person to bet against them, um, especially against the team uh, lower ranked than they are. And I think for Brazil, you know, Brazil don't look good until they score. And then when they score, they look unbeatable. So, you know, it's easier said than done. But if you can stop them from scoring, you never know. But no, I think uh, Croatia and Brazil are probably uh, going through there. Scott, you mentioned that France don't have to worry too much if they go behind against England because they have the ability to come back. Japan have been behind in all three of their games and somehow in two of them, they have come back. That's got to be, uh, at least in the back of Croatia's mind, that going 1-0 up doesn't kill off this game. Look, absolutely. Look, You can learn from those lessons if you're Croatia, um, from, from Spain and from Germany. and You've got to give <clears throat> Japanese head coach huge kudos for you know, turning things around in, in second halves of games and the impact that, um, you know, particularly Downs made um, in those second halves and getting a couple of goals. Uh, look, I think this game, unfortunately, has got a board draw all written all over it in terms of Croatia, you know, not scoring in two of the games in the group phases. Uh, Japan are going to sit right behind the, the game as well and try and catch Croatia on the counter-attack. I, I just see this one being something that goes to extra time. If there's going to be a game that goes to extra time and possibly penalties, this could be the one. And, and, and possibly then Japan could get a result in this one. Um, the Korea-Brazil game for me, obviously we know Brazil are going to dominate that game. It's going to suit Korea. Obviously their work ethic, they're going to work hard. But it's all about you know not conceding early. If, if they concede early, then it could be a big big game um, in terms of for Brazil and, and, and what the scoreline could be. But I, I just don't see either of these games being easy for for the likes of Croatia or Brazil. It's not written in stone that these two will, will, will go through comfortably, um, particularly even Brazil for me. So um, it's going to be interesting. But look, obviously, I hope I'm wrong about that Japan-Croatia game. But it just everything that I've seen so far... Because in terms of goal threat as well for Croatia, they've not really impressed me. In, you know, in the, the higher end of the pitch, yes, they, they scored four and against Canada. Um, but as we know, Canada weren't exactly a strong opposition to play against. I just find that they they find it very difficult to breach teams, and I, I just see this game being a nil nil. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us today, Scott McDonald. Pleasure to have you on the Gegen Pod, and we look forward to hearing from you soon. Thank you. Thank you as always. And Jack Austin, we can keep reading your work along with, of course, Jake Rosengarten and the rest of the editorial team on the Optus Sport app and website. So happy typing and thanks for joining us on the Gegenpod. Thanks for having me. Yes, a big thanks to Jack Austin and also Scott McDonald and Mark Schwarzer for joining us from Qatar. Don't forget the Pod is daily during the World Cup, so make sure to hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and rate us five stars while you're there. If the World Cup hasn't been enough of a football fix, you can catch the WSL. That continues live from England, exclusive on Optus Sport. I'm your host, Teo Pelizzeri. We will be back tomorrow, so make sure you do hit subscribe. Thanks for listening to the Optus Sport Football Podcast. This was the Gegenpod. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.